Every child of God has that ability because of the finished work of Jesus on the cross and because he now is seated at the right hand of God. And because of that, he has poured out the Holy Spirit on every single one of us, and we can prophesy. So I want to look, before I have you stand, I want to look at just a couple scriptures. Numbers chapter 11. And what I want you to do is find 1 Corinthians chapter 14, verse 31. If you've got your Bible, you find 1 Corinthians chapter 14, verse 31. But let me set the stage just a little bit with these, these two verses before that. And, and I want to show you this from Scripture, that all of God's people, all of God's people can prophesy. So to set the stage, Numbers chapter 11, Moses has been leading the people of Israel, and they've been grumbling and complaining, and he is just exhausted. And God tells him, Moses, here's what I'm going to do. You gather 70 elders of the people, and I'm going to take the spirit that is on you, and I'm going to put it upon them. And they're going to help you to lead the people. And so when this takes place, 68 of the elders show up. Two of them stay in the camp. But God still does what he said he was going to do. He takes of the spirit that was on Moses. He places it upon them. And they begin to prophesy. Well, the two in the camp begin to prophesy. And Joshua, who is the assistant of Moses, thinks that this is a, a, an attack against Moses' authority. And he runs to Moses. And he says, hey, Eldad and Medad are in the camp and they're prophesying. In verse 29 is Moses' answer to that situation. Let's read it. Then Moses said to him, to Joshua, Are you zealous for my sake? Oh, that all the Lord's people were prophets. That all the Lord's people were prophets and that the Lord would put his spirit upon them. Moses has a prayer. Moses has a desire. Not just that 68, 70, not just 120, not just, but all of God's people would be prophets. That is a prayer that Moses has. We move 600 to 800 years later in the book of Joel. Joel chapter 2, verse 28. Many of us are familiar with this. And Joel takes that, that wish and that prayer of Moses, and now he, he makes it a prophecy. By the Spirit of God, he prophesies, and he says, In the end days it shall come to pass afterward that I will pour out my Spirit on all flesh. And what does it say? Your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. Your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. Now we've moved from Moses who has a wish and a prayer to Joel who has a prophecy. And then we jump, and I want to have you stand as we honor the reading of God's word. 1 Corinthians chapter 14, verse 31. I told Rev, I've got this one in the KJV. You've got to put at least one KJV in there. But I like what it says. I want you to read this. The Apostle Paul, writing to New Testament believers in the church at Corinth, says what? For ye may all prophesy. You read that? I'm not making these things up. This is the Apostle Paul to a New Testament church. Ye may all prophesy one by one that all may learn and all may be comforted. And that's what I believe is possible in the New Testament. That's what I believe is possible in your life. And when you lay hold of the prophetic, I'm going to say the spirit of prophecy. And you say, God, use me. Loose my tongue to speak words of faith. Things begin to change. Lives begin to change. Shane doesn't know this. I just told him where I was going, but I didn't say anything about songs. But I was listening yesterday to the song, God, You Keep Hope Alive. And that quickened in my spirit. That is exactly what a prophetic word does in somebody's life. When they are fleeting, when their faith is failing, and a prophetic word comes in, hope is kept alive. And I want that for you, and I want that for your family. I want that for this community. Amen? So, Father, we join our faith together. God, you're already moving. And I thank you, Lord. Holy Spirit, you are welcome here. That's not just a song. That's our prayer today. Whatever you want to do with the rest of this time, God, it is yours. So I pray, God, that our hearts would be open to receive the word, Lord, that you would give me the tongue of the learned, 
that I might deliver this word because it's a word in season. To him who is weary, God is here to pick you up. He who sows in tears shall reap a harvest of joy. That's going to take place today. You've sown enough tears. It's time to reap a harvest of joy. But you've got to open your mouth. So God, loose our tongues by the power of the Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name, and all of God's people said, amen. amen. I told JoJo the other day, I have to share this. I watched a, a Bob Ross video. You know, the guy with the afro that paints? And I got convicted because he started with a blank white canvas and 26 minutes and 18 seconds later, he had a snowy cabin outside. And I thought, man, if he can do that in 26 minutes, but guess what? I'm sorry, Bob. I got to go a little bit more than 26 minutes this morning. But I'm going to tell you, with Bob Ross, you get a beautiful painting. He's going to teach you how to paint. You give me just a little bit more time, I'm going to teach you how to prophesy. And I'm going to encourage you and exhort you that you can do this. And it's a wonderful thing to be able to paint, but it's a far greater thing to be able to speak prophetically. And so, Father, teach us this morning. That's what I want to say. What we saw in Joel chapter 2 is he says, you shall. There's coming a day where your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. That word shall means this is something that's not yet, but it's going to happen in the future. It shall happen. When you say that, I shall go here, I shall go here, that means it's not right now, but one day I will. But when you get to 1 Corinthians chapter 14, the apostle Paul said, you may. That's a present reality. So we went from Joel saying one day it's going to happen to Paul saying it can happen now. And that's where we live. We don't live in the shall. We live in the may. But i got to push you further this morning. The title of my message is not you may prophesy. It's you must. You must prophesy. If you want to see lives changed, if you want to see things shift in the natural and in the spiritual, you have to prophesy. And so you can get to the point where you say, I may, preacher, I agree with you that I may prophesy, but that's not far enough. Because many of us will say we may, but you have to earnestly desire, you have to covet that this gift is available for you, and you have to speak. You will never prophesy until you prophesy. It is that simple. Until you speak, until you believe that God will do this, and then you open your mouth, it's never going to happen. So you have to say, I must prophesy. So that's where I'm taking you this morning. And to do that, it is the Christmas season, I want to look at Luke chapter 1. And I want to go through this narrative. And I want to look because I think that Luke, more than any other writer, catches this, that all of God's people should be prophets. When you read the Gospel of Luke and the book of Acts, because he wrote both of those, it's a two-volume set. You want some really good reading, read through the Gospel of Luke and then jump immediately to the book of Acts, because you have volume one and volume two. And Luke is showing you in the gospel the, the ministry of Jesus while he was on earth. And then in the book of Acts, he's showing you the continued ministry of Jesus from heaven through his church. Jesus didn't stop working. Just because he's not here among us physically, he's at the right hand of God, but his spirit is working through his church today. And so that's, that's the book of uh, Luke and Acts, and Luke picks up on this, that all of God's people can be prophets. You see in Luke, more than any other writer, that he sees that the people of God should be a prophetic community. That should mark the people of God, that we can speak under the unction and anointing of the Holy Spirit. And so we jump into Luke chapter 1, verses 5 through 23, and I just want to be a storyteller. I told you I was going to go more than 26 minutes, but if I read every single scripture, you'll be here for three hours, and you will be, Lord, let somebody prophesy so this guy will be quiet. So, I want to be more like a storyteller this morning. So, we jump into Luke chapter 1, and we have the, uh, this, this couple, this elderly couple. They're both from a priestly lineage, lineage, Zacharias and Elizabeth. And it gives us a detail, and it says that they were righteous before God, walking in all the commandments and ordinances of the Lord, blameless, but they had no child. 
So we meet this couple that Luke introduces to us, and he gives us this story. They're both from a priestly lineage. They are righteous. They are blameless before the Lord, but they have no child. And we need to, just, we need to pick up on that for just a second to really paint this picture. Because the old covenant, God said, if you are faithful, I'll bless the fruit of your womb. Well, we just read that they are righteous and holy, but they have no child. And so you have to put yourself in their shoes. To be of a priestly lineage, both of them, priestly lineage, Zacharias is a priest and his wife has no child. They bore a reproach. People had to have looked at them and thought, well, something must be off because God said if they were faithful and if they were righteous and if they were holy, I would bless the fruit of their womb, but they have no child. And so they have went years praying for a child. And we get into this story and Zacharias, as one of the priests, is drawn, uh, he is drawn by Lot to be the one that ministers to the Lord, burning incense before the Lord. This is a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity. And we find out that when he is ministering to the Lord, burning incense, that an angel appears to him. This angel is Gabriel. And I love what Gabriel says. He says, Zacharias, do not be afraid. You and I would be afraid too. So he sees this angel, and the angel says, do not be afraid. And he goes on to say, your prayers have been heard. Well, what prayers? Well, the next thing he says is, you're going to have a son. Those prayers that he had prayed that he and Elizabeth had prayed and prayed and prayed, and God, your word says, you says that if we're righteous, if we're holy, if we're obedient, God, you'll bless the fruit of our womb, but we're not seeing that, and they have prayed, and they have prayed, and they have prayed. But the angel shows up and says, you're going to have a son. But the angel gives more details. You're not just going to have a son. This son is going to be the prophet that goes before the Messiah. He's drawing from Malachi chapter 4, verse 8, and he says that this child you're going to have is going to go before the Messiah, and he's going to, he's going to be a prophet of the Most High, and he's going to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the hearts of the children to their fathers. And so he's speaking this over Zacharias, and Zacharias should know the Old Testament being a priest, and he should know that just because he's old and his wife is barren and past the age of childbearing, that there was a couple that God has already done this. Right? Abraham and Sarah. And there's a principle. What God has done in the past, unless he says, I'll never do it again, he can and will do it again. But unfortunately, Zacharias stumbles in unbelief. And he says, how can this take place? In that moment of unbelief, then the angel says, you're going to be mute until these things come to pass. Zacharias loses all ability to speak because he stumbled in unbelief. Well, here's the first principle I want to teach you. If you have not faith, you will not prophesy. If there's unbelief in your heart, the Bible says what? Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. If you have a heart of unbelief, brother, sister, as much as I love you, I have to tell you the truth. If you have unbelief, you will not prophesy. Unbelief silences the prophetic voice of the people of God. There must be faith. You have to believe and you have to trust and you have to have faith in your heart or your tongue will be like Zacharias and it will be muted and you will not speak the prophetic word of God. I'd rather tell you a truth that hurts and cuts that wound open and it begins to bleed and it eventually heals than to leave you where you are and simply let you die. You have to have faith in your heart. If you're going to prophesy, you have to have faith in your heart. Here's point number two. Zachariah and Elizabeth, they wanted a child. God wanted a prophet. They had prayed for years for a child. And God in his sovereignty and God in his timing had heard all of those prayers and he had never given up. But they wanted a son. God wanted a prophet. And when those two things aligned, the answer came. So you have to believe in the sovereignty of God and the timing of God and you have to keep faith. Even when you can't see it, even when in the natural it doesn't make sense, you have to continue to pray. You have to continue to believe. You have to continue to speak. And God will answer your prayers. Amen? 
So you cannot have unbelief, and you have to believe. And when you align with what God wants, God gets what he wants. God wanted a prophet, and he got John. And so we move in the story a little bit further, and I love what it says in verse 23 through 25. It says, So it was, as soon as the days of his service were completed, that he departed to his own house. So Zacharias leaves. He cannot speak. He comes out of the temple. Everybody can see that something has happened, but he can't speak. And after all of this, he leaves. He departs to his house. Verse 24 and 25 say this. After those days, his wife Elizabeth conceived, and she hid herself five months, saying, Thus the Lord has dealt with me in the days when he looked on me to take away my reproach among the people. This is a powerful moment. But i got to ask this question. How do you get from an older, barren couple to a mute man to a pregnant woman? Now, if you want, if you want to really hear these details, you've got to go back and listen to Rev's sermon because he gave you the details of Conway Twitty and some things that took place to get to that point. I'm not going there, okay? He's already covered that ground. That was his, Okay. I do want to look at this, though, because Zacharias, even though he could not speak, he could communicate. I do believe that. And I want to paint this picture for you that imagine when they get home and he can't speak. And his wife Elizabeth says, honey, you got to tell me what happened. Something happened. You have to tell me. You have to relay to me. I need to know what I can do to help you. What happened? What was it? And I could just picture Zacharias grabbing a tablet and beginning to write. And he begins to write out. And he says, an angel named Gabriel appeared to me. And he told us that we're going to have a son. And the son's name is going to be John. And he's going to be a prophet of the Most High. And he's writing all this out. And he's frantic. And his eyes are watering because he's just crying. Because the promise of God, even though he didn't speak uh, faith, now I believe it's in his heart, though. And God has muted him. But I think in his heart, He's saying this is going to take place, and he writes it. And then, then be with me right here when he turns that tablet. And Elizabeth, who's the one that's really bearing the reproach, reads it. And she, she reads line upon line. There was an angel, and this angel said, we're going to have a son. Can you, can you see her eyes as she begins to cry? She says, God has heard my prayers. And you're going to have a son, and the son is going to be a prophet, and his name is going to be John. And I imagine at that moment, that was all that she needed, and it was on. And we'll leave it at that. She believed the promise. She believed the promise. There could be a word in there for the husbands as well. Keep your mouth shut, guys. Come on. So she believed the promise. And again, I'm using what I call a sanctified imagination. You've got to read sometimes between the lines, but I think it's within the text that we can say something had to happen. Zacharias, in some way, shape, or form, had to be able to communicate with his wife, and his wife had to agree with it, and the couple comes together in faith, and the promise is received. And it goes from a promise from an angel to a child within her womb. And she hides herself for five months. I mean, she is past the age of childbearing. I'm sure she took every precaution she could, and she hid herself for five months, and that promise began to grow and began to grow and began to grow, and they're seeing the, the faithfulness of God right before their eyes. And then we jump further in the story, and the angel appears to a young virgin named Mary. And this angel tells Mary, you're going to have a son, and this son is going to be the Savior of the world. This is going to be God in the flesh. But he also reveals a detail to Mary, and he says, your relative, Elizabeth, in her old age, is going to bear a child, and she is going to have a son, for with God, nothing is impossible. So Mary, hearing this word, then travels, and we get to verse, uh, verses 39 through 56, and it says that Mary arose in the days and went into the hill country with haste to a city of Judah, and she entered the house of Zacharias and greeted Elizabeth. Mary, just, Mary at this time has Jesus in her womb. Elizabeth, six months pregnant with John in her womb. Mary goes to visit her relative, and it says that she greeted them. Verse 41, And it happened when Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary, 
that the babe leaped in her womb and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. And when she gets filled with the Holy Spirit, and this is what Luke, in all of his narratives, when someone is filled with the Holy Spirit, something happens. And this is exactly what we see happen continuously in the the Gospel of Luke in the book of Acts, verse 42. Then she spoke out with a loud voice. The gift of prophecy was released right there in that house. And she spoke, and she spoke out. And I want you to see what she says. Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. But why is this granted to me that the mother of my Lord should come to me? For indeed, as soon as the voice of your greeting sounded in my ears, the babe in my womb leaped for joy. Blessed is she who believed, for there will be a fulfillment of those things which were told her from the Lord. How did Elizabeth know that? That is a prophetic word. That is a word of wisdom, a word of knowledge, however you want to say that. But the Holy Spirit reveals to Elizabeth that the baby inside of Mary is the Messiah. And she declares loudly. She speaks out under the unction and anointing of the Holy Spirit and confirms what God has promised to Mary. Imagine what that did for the faith of Mary. She was a young virgin, and now she has conceived a child, and she is bearing the Messiah. This prophetic word from Elizabeth, I have to think, strengthened her faith. You are blessed. The child that you have, knowing all of this, because when God speaks into your situation, everything changes. When God delivers mail, there's one thing, when God reads your mail, that's amazing. But when God delivers you mail, that's on a whole nother level. And God confirms what he has done in Mary through a prophetic word from Elizabeth. Well, guess what happens? Once you start prophesying, other people might start prophesying. And immediately Mary comes under the unction of the Holy Spirit and says, My soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit has rejoiced in God my Savior. And I could go down and read all of this. And she begins to prophesy and proclaim about the goodness of God, about the salvation of of the world that's going to come through her son. And so what you have in Luke, the first two people that you have to prophesy are not a priest, they're not a prophet, they're not a king. It's a barren woman that's now pregnant and a virgin that has a child. Luke is teaching you and me that in the presence of Jesus, all of God's people can prophesy. Because it it wasn't ultimately John the Baptist that caused this. It was Christ in the womb of Mary. And when Jesus' presence showed up in that house, the gift of prophecy was released. And they begin to prophesy, and they have a Holy Spirit-filled, they have a Holy Spirit-filled meeting right there in that house with two people, and they prophesy to each other, and they encourage each other, and they build one another up. And I'm telling you, that is what happens when you get into the presence of Christ, and you believe that by the unction and anointing of the Holy Spirit, you too can prophesy. So we move further in the story, further on in the story, and we get to Zacharias, and it comes time for Elizabeth to conceive. Verse 57, it says, Elizabeth's full time came for her to be, to be delivered. She brought forth a son. When her neighbors and relatives heard how the Lord had shown great mercy for her, they rejoiced with her. And there comes a moment where the, the promise was growing in the womb to now they're holding the promise in their arms. And we're moving further in this story and we're continuing to see the faithfulness of God. But I love what we see that takes place next. It's This child is eight days old and under the... The Mosaic Covenant, it was time for the child to be circumcised, and you would give the child a name at this time, and it was really the father's responsibility to name the child. But remember, he cannot speak. And so it comes time to name the child, and they turn to Elizabeth, and she says, his name will be John. This is why I believe that he had to be able to communicate to her. Where did that name come from? 
I believe that she agreed with him what the angel had said, and she said, even if my husband can't speak the word of faith, I will speak the word of faith. But you know what happens sometimes when you speak the word of faith? Even people closest to you will oppose it. And the people say, you can't do that, Elizabeth. There's nobody in your family named John. You need to name him Zacharias. But in the face of opposition, she holds fast to the word and says, his name will be John. you got to hold fast to your profession. God gives you a word, you hold on to it, and you speak it. Even when people oppose it, if it's from God, it will come to pass. This child was in the womb. This child is now in their arms. But the fulfillment of that promise is not going to come until his name is John and he is a prophet. They're not all the way done just yet. And Zacharias is over there. I can just see him. Mm, 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 mm. So they give him something to write on. And the Bible says he begins to write. And he writes his name is John, Yohanan in the Hebrew. And the moment that last letter is put on that tablet and he strikes it, the Bible says his tongue was loosed. His tongue was loosed. He'd been muted for nine months, but oh, faith had been burning in his heart. And I'm telling you, when that word gets in your heart and it begins to burn, you're like the prophet Jeremiah. There's only so much you can take when the word of God burns within you. It's got to find somewhere to come out. You can either put the fire out or you can let the fire come out. And I'm telling you this morning, get the promise in your heart and let it come out of your mouth. And he speaks, and I want to read his prophecy, and then I want to dive into it just a little bit. So verse 67 says this. Now his father, Zacharias, was filled with the Holy Spirit. There's that filling of the Holy Spirit. And what happens when someone's filled with the Holy Spirit? He prophesied. He speaks out loudly. And he says, Blessed is the Lord God of Israel, for he has visited and redeemed his people and has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David as he spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets who have been since the world began that we should be saved from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us to perform the mercy promised to our fathers and to remember his holy covenant. Verse 73, the oath which he swore to our father Abraham to grant us that we, being delivered from the hand of our enemies, might serve him, I love this, without fear in holiness and righteousness before him all the days of our life. Let's stop right there. That's talking about Jesus. Revelation 19, 10, we're going to get this later, says this, that the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. All prophecy is rooted and grounded in who Jesus is ultimately and exalting Jesus' name. He's not talking about John right here. He's talking about the salvation that will come through Jesus. He's prophesying the testimony of Jesus Christ. That's the first thing that he does. He declares the praises of God, his faithfulness, his goodness. When you're under the unction of the Holy Spirit, the anointing of the Holy Spirit, you'll do that too. You'll begin to declare the good things of God, the faithfulness of God. You go from simply worshiping and reading and singing the words off the screen to a, something is in your heart and you begin to declare the goodness of God, the faithfulness of God, the holiness of God, the righteousness of God, all of these things and people around you Shane take notice of what you're doing and then they're reminded of the goodness of God and the faithfulness of God first thing we need to do all prophecy should exalt Christ it's got to exalt Jesus but this next part is where it really hits home for me Zacharias in verse 76 eight day old baby in his, mother, or in his wife's arms Zacharias under the unction of the Holy Spirit looks at that eight day old child and says and you child you child. 
You will be called a prophet of the highest. You will go before the face of the Lord to prepare his way, to give knowledge of salvation to his people by the remission of their sins through the tender mercy of our God. With the day spring from on high has visited us to give light to those who sit in darkness in the shadow of death, to guide our feet into the way of peace. You parents have to prophesy over your children. If I could teach you anything today, I have three boys, and I pray over those boys every single night. I read the word with them every single night. I try to speak words of encouragement to them. I do all that I know to do as a parent. I fail many times, but I pick myself back up. But the one thing I want to be able to do is I want to be able to speak prophetically over their life because it speaks destiny over them. It calls things that are not as though they be. And he spoke to this child, and he said, you, eight days old. Zacharias can't understand anything his father's saying, but that's all right, because he's speaking destiny over that child. And he prophesies, and he says, you, child, shall be great. You've got to let your tongue loose to speak over your children. And every single parent in here wants to do this. You do. It's in your heart. Every grandparent wants to do this. You don't just want to give words of encouragement. You want to speak words that cut right through all the fog, cut right through all the chaos in this world today, and they penetrate the heart of your child so that your child knows that God loves them, God cares for them, God has a plan for them. You need to be able to speak prophetically over your children, and God has made a way so that you can. Look at your children and say, you child, you will. God gave me this word for my children a few weeks ago. Our oldest son's name is Deacon. Listen, we we were... Christians, but we weren't super spiritual at that time. We just named him Deacon because we liked it, okay? And I'm not saying that what you name your children, but I do think it's important. So we named Deacon, okay? A little while later, Isaiah comes along. We wanted to name him Josiah, but we knew a Josiah, so we went with Isaiah because I flipped open the Bible and I was reading one morning, and it was Isaiah, and it quickened in my heart his name will be Isaiah. Took it, showed it to my wife. She said yes, so there's Isaiah, The last one is Ethan, and the story with Ethan is really uh, the one that really brings it all together because we were teaching the spiritual warfare series here, and we went to the doctor. We found out we're having a boy. Now it's time to name the baby. We'd already been thinking if you're a parent, you've went through this, and you find out that every name you pick, somebody's got it or somebody's relative's relative has named their dog that, and you don't want to do that. So I said, what about Ethan or Nathan? I like those two names. They're biblical. Katie thinks about it. We're driving back from Conway. Eh. Don't know. So I come back to the church. I'm studying for the spiritual warfare series. I flip to Psalm 89 to pull something out of Psalm 89 for the lesson, and I get a text from my wife that says, I like the name Ethan. Well, I flip to, I'm in Psalm 89, and I just, my eyes glance up. Well, Psalm 89 is written by an Azariah named Ethan. So for me, this is my personal story, but I'm showing you that God speaks into your personal situation. That child's name is Ethan because of that confirmation that God gave. So here we have Deacon and Isaiah and Ethan. If you have children, you know they're all different, right? They're all different. They all have their own personalities. And so the Lord revealed to me the other night, though, that Deacon means servant, and he is a servant. That kid wants to help. He wants to do. He wants to learn. My mother's over here shaking her head. She knows this. It's what he wants to do. So when I pray over him now, I pray, and I say, Deacon, you're a servant of the Lord Jesus Christ, and you're a servant of his people. Isaiah's our wild card. You don't know what you're going to get with Isaiah. All right, but that works because prophets were a little bit wild card too. They did some things, Shane, where you read what a prophet did and you think, am I supposed to strip naked and do that? No, no. He does that though. He, we just don't know. But yeah, and he can confirm it. I mean, he's running in here after certain. But anyways, what I'm saying, stay on track, preacher. I said, Isaiah, you're a prophet of the Lord and you shall prophesy to his people. 
that became a part of my prayer. Now, this is the one that I love the most because I, I thought, well, Ethan's a baby. But I saw this in the Word where he spoke to an eight-day-old child because God put something in his heart. Ethan loves worship music. Ethan in the Bible was a worshiper. If you read Psalm 89, it's all about worship of God. And so now when I pray over Ethan, I say, you are a worshiper of the Lord and you shall lead the people of God to true worship. Deanna doesn't know this, but the day after I received that, she took my baby out of the sound booth and brought him up on the stage here so that he could be with her while she was singing and practicing worship. And that was confirmation for me that God said, that's a prophetic word for your children. I'm telling you, parents, you have that ability too, to speak life, to speak health, to speak destiny over your children. So you have that unction and ability to prophesy over your children. Amen? Amen. Luke chapter 2, you don't have to go here. I'm just going to tell you this, though. The next two people that you see prophesy, because we went from a barren woman that now has a child prophesying to a virgin that has a child within her by the supernatural power of God prophesying, to an older priest prophesying. In chapter 2, you get Simeon, who is an older man, that it says the Spirit of the Lord was upon him. And when he sees Jesus, he breaks out in prophetic declaration. Then you have Anna, who is an older prophetess. So in the, the first two chapters of Luke, you have five people that prophesy, and they are not your typical people that would be prophesying. Luke is teaching us that in this, under the new covenant, all of God's people can and should prophesy. And we see that. And that's why we get, in 1 Corinthians chapter 14, you get to the Apostle Paul. But Luke continues in Acts chapter 2. We all love Acts chapter 2 in this church because it's the day of Pentecost. But Luke is teaching us something. There were 120 people in that room. How many prophesied? 120. It doesn't say that it was just the 12. It says it was every single one of them begins to speak in tongues and magnify the Lord. All 120 began to have a prophetic unction. You move to Acts chapter 8. It doesn't tell us exactly what took place, but we can infer in Acts chapter 8 that something similar to the day of Pentecost took place, and they spoke out loudly. Acts chapter 10, Cornelius' house, every single one of them, when the Spirit came upon them, spoke out in tongues, and it says prophesied. Acts chapter 19, in Ephesus, the gospel is going forward. Paul meets some disciples. He says, uh, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? And they say, we never even heard that there was a Holy Spirit. I do not want to go to that church. They say, we have never even heard that there is a Holy Spirit. And so this lets him know something's off. And he tells them about Jesus, and he takes them, and he water baptizes them. Then it says that he laid hands on them. The Holy Spirit came upon them, and they spoke in tongues, and they prophesied. And Jesus said, you will be my witness to the ends of the earth. Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Luke is painting that picture for you. That when the Spirit of God comes, you become a prophetic witness of Jesus Christ. And he paints that picture. And then we see Paul in 1 Corinthians chapter 14 writing to a New Testament church saying, you can all prophesy. I'm not saying you're all prophets. There is a difference between the office of prophet and the gift of prophecy. Paul says, are all prophets? And the answer is no. But can all prophesy? Absolutely, yes, you can. And so here's what I want to do. I want to end in a barrage with quick, eight quick points of why you should prophesy and what it does and what it releases in your life. And then I want that moment at the end of this service where if you want to have someone pray with you, if you want to just experience the power of God and release that prophetic gift that is in you, we're going to have that moment for you. But I want to give you eight reasons why you must prophesy, Okay. Number one, it exalts. It exalts Jesus. 
I told you that Revelation chapter 19, verse 10 says, the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. This is where it all begins. If you want to prophesy, you are prophesying ultimately to be a witness to Jesus. Acts chapter 2, verse 33 says this. Do we have that one? Acts chapter 2, verse 33. I can give it to you if you don't. It's the day of Pentecost, and Peter has preached, and he has preached his heart out. He went from denying Jesus to now he is preaching to a crowd of people that just crucified Jesus, and he says this right here. Therefore, being exalted to the right hand of God, when the Holy Spirit is poured out, and they speak in tongues, and he makes the connection with Joel chapter 2, that God said he'd pour out his spirit, and all of his children would prophesy, he says this to the crowd. Being exalted to the right hand of God, having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, he poured out this which you now see and hear. The prophecy that took place on that day pointed to the fact that Jesus is at the right hand of God. True prophecy always exalts and points people to Jesus, number one. Number two, conviction. Conviction. 1 Corinthians chapter 14, verse 24 and 25a. I've got these right here. 24 says, But if all prophesying an unbeliever or an uninformed person comes in, he is convinced by all, he is convicted by all. So if there is a group of uh, people, a believers in Jesus, and they begin to prophesy, this is what happens. Somebody is convinced or convicted by all. Verse 25 says, And thus the secrets of his heart are revealed. True prophecy cuts through all the noise and all of the doubt and all of the unbelief, and it hits right at home in the heart, and their heart is revealed. If all of God's people would prophesy when an unbeliever or an uninformed person comes in, you may be the one that God uses to speak a prophetic word that pulls them out of the life of sin, and it hits right at home at their heart. You can evangelize all day long, and I'm all for it. And you can take a track, and you can share that with somebody, and God may very well use that. And I'm for those things. But if you've ever done it where you just knew somebody was in a particular type of sin or unbelief, and you just spoke right to it, and God read their mail, they get convicted, and they say, tell me more about this Jesus. You need to prophesy so that you can convince and convict people that Jesus is the Savior of the world. Then we read in 1 Corinthians about the edification, edification. Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 14, verse 3, that prophecy is for edification, exhortation, and comfort. What does it mean to edify somebody? To edify means to build up, to strengthen. If you speak prophetically, you may very well be the person that when somebody is down in the dirt, you may, by a prophetic word, be the one that God uses to build them up, to strengthen them. We all want to do this when we see somebody struggling. We speak a prophetic word. It takes somebody from down low and beat down to built up and strong in a moment. They may be under the attack of the enemy, and they need somebody to speak a word that God is your refuge, God is your shield, God is your great reward, and he will protect you, and he will deliver you through this. A word of prophecy, a prophetic word, edifies and builds up. It also exhorts. This is exactly what Shane did to us this morning. He exhorted us in our worship to get the attention of your Savior. That, that worship needs to move a little further, as it were. We need to go further. We need to believe. You exhort somebody. You urge somebody. You push them on in the Spirit to go from where they are to where they need to be. If you speak a prophetic word, you are exhorting somebody to continue in faith or to go further in their walk with Jesus. It also says that it comforts. A prophetic word will lift somebody out of sorrow quicker than any medicine ever thought about. And I'm for medicine, and I'm for all these things. But there are too many people within the body of Christ right now that are struggling from anxiety and depression, and they need a prophetic word. 
Yes for medicine. Yes for doctors. Yes for the healing power of a word of God that is spoken over their life that removes all of the fogginess and all of the fear and all of the anxiety. And you look at somebody and you say, God said that he would not give you a spirit of fear. But he has given you power and love and a sound mind. And he said that if you will follow him, he will strengthen you. And your confidence will be in him. It won't be in your own abilities, but it will be in God. You speak that word and you comfort. You lift somebody out of the, the bitterness and the sorrow of soul. And the joy of the Lord becomes their strength in a moment. Because you spoke a word directed by the Holy Spirit into their life. You must prophesy. 1 Corinthians 12, 8 talks about a word of wisdom and a word of knowledge. I truly believe that prophecy is the vehicle that carries the other utterance gifts. When you get it in your heart that God would use you to speak a Holy Spirit-inspired word, God will take care of the rest. You don't have to spend all the time wondering, is this a word of wisdom? Is this a word of knowledge? The Holy Spirit will figure that out for you. You just position yourself to believe that God can use you, God wants to use you, and that you must speak. God will take care of the rest. And he will use you to speak a word of wisdom over somebody's life, and you will give them divine direction. Pastor Brown preached on it last week. When you're in the, the valley of decision, and you have all these things around you, if you have ever received a prophetic word, a word of wisdom, all of that goes away and you know the path that the Lord has for you and you can walk on it with peace. You can speak that over somebody's life. I had this going on in my life and I was inside of me, I was trying to make a decision. Should I do this? It was something that, that I'd done and I'd given up and I thought, well, maybe I just don't need to do that. And, and I just, I don't know if I could do it again. And I had a little bit of discouragement and my wife could see it. She knew something was brewing on the inside. She knew it. But I didn't just need, you should do this, you might do this. I needed a word. I needed a word from God. And I was walking through the living room, and my mother was on the phone with a lady that is prophetic. And she has spoken words over my life. She's spoken words over our family, and I consider her to be a prophet. But she spoke. I was walking by, and Mom did this, which usually means for me to go, I got anything else to do right now, because I don't know what she's going to ask. But she put the, the phone on speakerphone, and the lady that was on the other end said, that thing that's in your heart is from God. Don't sell yourself short. Do what you need to do. And I knew exactly what she meant. And I went from that moment of just, I don't know if I can do this. Is it all going to work out? To I went to, I am going to do this, and it is all going to work out. And by the glory of God, I will tell you the details after it if you want. Everything has worked out amazingly for me and my family because of this. That was a word of wisdom that she spoke into my life, which gave me peace and direction. You can do the same. You must do the same. Knowledge. You can speak a word of knowledge over somebody. So wisdom kind of directs and guides. Knowledge is when you have divine information. There's no way that you should know what you know, but God knows everything. The eye of God sees all things, and he will use you to speak a word of knowledge into somebody's life. And I'm telling you, that's when God reads their mail, and he lets you read it too. And you speak that word, and they say, there's no way you could have known that. It will shake somebody to their core. Again, it will remove all of the things around them, and they will know that God knows their situation. There is hope. God will keep their hope alive. You speak a word of knowledge over them. Last one is presence. It is presence. 1 Corinthians chapter 14, verse 25, we looked at it, but I didn't read all of it. This person that gets convicted, and their, the secrets of their heart are revealed, they fall down on their faces, what it goes on to say in verse 25. I want you to read this. A prophetic word is, is released, and it says, the secrets of his heart is revealed. 
And so falling down on his face, he will worship God and report that God is truly among you. You must prophesy so that people will say the same thing. God is truly among you. That is what people need more than anything. They need to know that God knows them, that God cares about them, that God knows their situation, that God wants to heal, that God wants to deliver, that God wants to break through. They need to know that the presence of God is real. And God has chosen in his sovereignty to speak through his people. But you will not prophesy until you prophesy. You can't just say, I may prophesy. You have to say, I must prophesy. I want to ask the worship team to come up. Because I want to give you that opportunity. I've tried to give you all of the, the, the doctrine and all of those things, but I, I thank God that he's already given us the experience this morning. You've already seen what a prophetic word can do when it's released in a church. But I've prayed that God would release the spirit of prophecy on this church family. Joanna picked up the word that Miss Kathy spoke in tongues. God's waiting on you. I've already shown you that every single believer under the new covenant has the ability to speak prophetically. But you will never speak prophetically until you speak. You have to get to the point where you say, I must prophesy. God, you've made it to where I may, but I can't just settle there. I must prophesy. I must speak prophetically. I have to declare the life and the power and the goodness of God over my family, over my marriage, over my children, over my finances, over my workplace, over unbelievers. God, I want to be used by you so that people, when they hear me speak, would say, God is truly among us. Something has taken place here that is not just a normal conversation, but there is an anointing and an unction to the words that I have spoken to prove that God is truly in this place. I want to ask you to stand to your feet. 2 Kings chapter 3, verse 15. This is where I'm getting this. The reason I'm bringing the worship team back up, sometimes in the church we say, we don't want to create an atmosphere. We don't want to... You know what? Sometimes I don't. I can put lights on. I can put smoke on. We can do all those things for you and try to create. I'm not for that. But sometimes worship releases the prophetic. It just does. It's already done it once this morning. I believe that it will do it again. And I have scripture to back it up. So there's a decision needing to be made by three kings in 2 Kings chapter 3. They're about to die. All of them and their army are about to die because there is no water for them. And Jehoshaphat says, yeah, but there's a prophet, Elisha. And the word of the Lord is with him. That's what this world's looking for. Where are the people that have the word of the Lord? And I'm looking at them right now. You have the word of the Lord. And Elisha says this, bring me a musician. So when they show up to him and they say, we need a prophetic word, he immediately says, I need a musician. This is a prophet of God, but he knows that there's something that gets agitated through music, through worship, through anointed worship of God. He says, bring me a musician. Then it happened when the musician played that the hand of the Lord came upon him. I believe that will happen for you this morning. If you position your heart to believe, God, not just I may prophesy, but I must prophesy. And you sing out with faith, God will meet you, and the Spirit of the Lord will come upon you. And you may prophesy right here in these altars, or it may be later when you're laying there in bed, or when you go to pray over your children. You lay your hands on your children, and you say, you child shall be a prophet of God. You shall walk in the anointing of God. The enemy shall come against you, but if he comes one way, you'll drive him out seven ways, Lord. And you will speak prophetically over your children. So this morning, I want to ask you, worship the Lord. And if you want a pastor to pray with you, I have faith today to believe. Jojo has faith today to believe. Rev has faith to believe that the spirit of prophecy will be released. But you can stay right in your seat, and God will meet you right where you are. So let's worship the Lord. 
And let's go from being people that are quiet. Shame, we're too quiet. The church has got too quiet. The enemy has taken the voice of the church. And it's time for the prophetic people of God to rise up and to speak to this world that God is still alive, that Jesus is on the throne, that he is still at the right hand of God, and the Holy Spirit is still working in and through the people. Listen, I preached this message to you this morning, and I'll share my personal testimony, and I'll be quiet. There's some of you that are looking at me right now saying, how is this guy doing this? Because I remember when he was a kid, and he struggled to even say here when the teacher called the roll. Spirit of God. That's it. And if God can do it in me, he will do it in you. That's my testimony. And there's many of you that have made a journey from, from maybe a different church or background or whatever it is, and, and you've, you've kind of found a home here. I want to encourage you. It's time for you to move further. You know, there's a lot of people that left and are leaving right now some of the evangelical churches, and they're going to the more traditional churches, and they call it the Canterbury Trail. Leaving here and they're walking on this Canterbury Trail to the Anglican Church or this church because more tradition and stuff like that. A lot of you are what I call the Pentecostal path. You've wound up here. We're a little bit weird. We're a little bit wacky sometimes, right? We're flakes and fruits and nuts, whatever it may be, Shane. I tell you what, though, we are. We believe in the power of the Holy Spirit. And I want you, brother or sister, to be fully vested and fully rooted in this church and church family, not because you can join the AG, but because you believe in the power of the Holy Spirit and that God is still alive today and that he desires to speak in and through you. And I want you to go from the Pentecostal path to the Pentecostal power. And I want your tongue to be loosed, and I want you to declare the good things of God. So, Father, we bless you this morning, and I pray with all the faith that I have right now, God, that you would release the spirit of prophecy among the people, God, that somebody would say today, that word burns within me. It's burning within me, God, and you give me a word uh, years ago, maybe, and I haven't spoken it, but I've held on to it. And like Zacharias, I have, I've had a tongue that's been muted, but today is going to be the day that the spirit of prophecy is released in my life. So, Father, we pray in the name of Jesus, your son, let your spirit loose in this place and let your name be magnified in Jesus name. Amen.